Hi, this is Star Wars author Delilah S. Dawson, and you're listening to Clashing Sabers Network. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Another chapter is here. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I'm here with my co-host. She is the cult leader we all would follow. (laughs) It's Lindsay. That's such a nice compliment. Not even like not Star Wars related, but I say it all the time that I want to start a cult. No, see, here's the trick. You have to call it a religion. And then, ah, yes. Yeah. See, look at Scientology. Scientology got it figured out. Like, Do they- you know, it's the craziest, craziest timing because just a couple hours ago, one of my friends texted me a uh, TikTok and it was like, what would it take for you to join a cult? And someone answered, they were like, not much. Like, what are the snacks? What, are the people hot? Like, when, when are the meeting times and how many times a week? They were like, I would definitely join a cult. I was like, oh, God, this is so well taught and definitely me. It's all about the commitment, you know? Like, can I lazily join a cult? I, uh, what know? are the fees involved? Exactly. Exactly. Um, do they have a nice hangout spot? say the important questions the important questions exactly and we're going to ask those important questions about a particular cult today because we are discussing the first book in phase two of the high republic path of deceit by justina ireland and tessa Groton. so if you are listening and you haven't jumped into the high republic and you're kind of trying to figure out where to go this is a great place to start because you can read phase two before the books in phase one uh, as phase two is a prequel they're kind of doing the, i was gonna say it's almost like the phantom menace to uh to the original trilogy right and it's pretty cool if you can uh you know make the connections and stuff but reading this one thing i was considering was can somebody start from this book and be able to know what's going on and a hundred percent you can so now that we kind of have a taste of uh, the high republic Lindsay, before we get into specifically this book we kind of have our, our toes in the water. We kind of have a feel for where they're going or what they're going to be talking about in phase two. So what are you most looking forward to delving into just across all the mediums as far as um, phase two of the High Republic? That could be a certain piece of content, certain idea, characters, whatever you like. Yeah, I think definitely the idea aspect for, for me. Um, this is so on brand with me and my style of what interests me both inside and outside of star wars um just the the whole you know organized religion versus spirituality um this this is a concept that i'm really really looking forward to going into especially because it's kind of happening in reverse than i think a lot of other you know franchises and stories would do in terms of here we see this really, I don't want to say say loose or lenient Jedi Order, but definitely something not quite as, as strict and formalized as we're used to. And I think now being able to see the, the juxtaposition of, hey, look, this was working. You know, this, this seemed, okay, this is the High Republic. Things were going good. Why did they change it? Why did they get more strict? Why did they, they enforce more, more rules? Um, this is something I'm, I'm really interested in diving into in phase two. Yeah, that's one thing, you know, we've gotten a lot of different Jedi, uh, in phase one, we've gotten a lot of different versions of Jedi and that's kind of continuing in phase two thus far, but we haven't, if you think about it, we haven't really gotten a ton about the Jedi order itself. We've had to kind of make connections and, and inferences from what we get with these individual characters but we haven't like yeah we haven't had like a jedi council scene or seen the council debating or even you know phase one you know you have stellan is on the council and uh you know you don't have a scene you would expect like stellan and yoda like 
debating the direction that the the Jedi should go. It's very much like here are these individualized Jedi and you put together the order as you will, which is kind of interesting when you think about how strict is not the best word, but but kind of how strict and, and intentional George Lucas was between the prequels and the Clone Wars of how he showed the Jedi order. And we even continued that, you know, later on with Filoni continuing season seven of the Clone Wars and stuff. Um, so it was very intentional to show the order and not so much about the individual Jedi. Like you meet individual Jedi, uh, but in Clone Wars, for example, it's about showing you the corruption of of the Jedi Order with uh with Pong Krell, for example. Like as terrible as a human being as he is, uh, or Besilisk or whatever he may be, um, f that guy. Uh, he he is more about showing the corruption of the Order than like look at this individual Jedi. Whereas High Republic. It's a lot more about the individual Jedi and their experiences with the Force. Well, especially in this, you know, yeah. and and I feel like this is a really interesting book and and a great way to kind of start off this new phase because to your point, like everything was so individualistic in Phase One, and everyone was or everything was really focused on here's this specific character and here's how they fit into this story. Not so much here is this order and here's how it's it's shaping what was formed. And I'd be honest after, um, oh man, I'm a terrible Star Wars fan. What's the first book that came out? Light for of the Jedi. Off? The higher, yeah, in Light of the Jedi, I really thought that when we started to see a lot more of what was going on on, on Coruscant and the way that, you know, these these politicians dealt with the Jedi and vice versa. I thought we were going to get a lot more of here's the Jedi order and here's how it fits into the universe as opposed to what we got, which look, everyone loves it. I'm cool with it, you know, but, but I think the first wave of high Republic felt a lot more like kind of action adventure books and this is going to be the step back and and the here's how we got here and here's why we ended up there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's kind of intentional because by showing all these individual Jedi but not spending a lot of time with the council, it shows you what the Jedi are about. They're about the relationship with the Force and your own experience and interpretation of what it of what a Jedi should be. Um, not so much about here's the code and you fit into this order right. and hit, and check these marks that it was in the prequel. So I definitely think that's intentional and I think it's even more intentional going back the hundred years or whatever it is back to phase two. It's even more so going to be that, you know? Um, it's more going to be about the individualized experience. And I like getting to see and this is something we got in phase one that I'm excited to continue in phase two to see these different experiences of the Jedi, but particularly to see how these different Jedi question themselves because in the prequel era, we got Jedi questioning themselves. We got Anakin as the outcast, you know, questioning himself and how much he deserved to be in the Jedi order. You know, if you look to the Anakin and Obi-Wan comic, you got Obi-Wan questioning himself and his ability to be a master and even be a Padawan. When we look at books like Padawan and master and apprentice and stuff. Um, But it was more a kind of a, an invalidating um, sense of questioning oneself rather than, the Jedi and the High Republic question themselves in order to enhance their connection with the Force and their understanding, you know. Um, and that's something we're going to talk about today when it comes to to our main uh, Jedi character of Kevmo Zink. But before we actually get into the, the discussion proper, we've got to do our ratings. So for those of you who are listening for the first time, welcome. Uh, here, we like to rate the books beforehand and then have our discussion and see if uh, if we get swayed in either direction. And I'm, I'm really excited about this one because most of the time I have a feeling of which direction Lindsay is going Ooh. to lean towards. And I have zero clue on this one um i can see her picking everything from one to five for a multitude of reasons so i'll go ahead and give my rating uh which is a 3.5 because i think the book is is great 
but it isn't on the level of things that I've given a four or five star rating um, as of yet. I will say this feels like a setup novel, uh, but lacks mm-hmm. the grandeur of Light of the Jedi, which is not necessarily a bad thing as they are are designed to do different things, but that does kind of impact the ratings and, and honestly having so many good four-star books uh, and even five-star books come out recently kind of stops it from getting to a four as of right now. So, Lindsay, out of five, where do you rate this book? Uh, you know what? I'm going to do actually a four out of five. Um, I might be overthinking it, and that's why, if anything, I think it's going to be easier to sway me down to a three than it is up to a five or maybe even a two. Who knows? Um, but the reason being, I kind of had to check myself because I was really coming off this high from Padawan and from oh, Trixie. Um, I was really coming off this high from Padawan and from uh, Shadow of the Sith. So to to be so amped up and have these stories that were like everything I feel like I wanted to, to this, whereas it's no fault to this. It was a, to me, I thought a really great book, right? It, it had that cult aspect that I always love really exploring. And it had some real, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, some real theological discussions, I guess. Um, I, I love that. And the other thing to me was, I kind of love, but hate when things solve the mystery, right? Because mm. here we we get this this big mystery solved, right? And it was massive. And I feel like not a lot of people were really super hyper-focused on it, you know, in, in kind of the mainstream world, right? It's something where our little Star Wars niche, like, yeah, we talk about and we were interested in. But as more things were coming out, it fell to the wayside, right? As more books were coming out in the main era, and, and Andor's out. And we're starting to get photos from for Ahsoka. And, and, you know, snippets for Mandalorian 3 and, and all of this. I feel like this big mystery of, hey, look, what are these creatures and what are they doing? Kind of fell off a bit. Um, so to, to have it come back, I thought was really interesting. And I'm almost a little bit bummed that this mystery was already solved. I think they could have kind of toyed around with this a little bit more in Phase 2. But regardless, like, here we are, we know off the bat at the first book of Phase 2 exactly what this was and how these creatures came to be. So now hopefully they just do something cool with it. I don't want it to just be like, ha mystery solved, see you later. I hope this continues and I hope we get more. Yeah, the leveler to me, I know it's like the the main, I guess, not villain, but the main, you know, threat to the Jedi right now. Like, the Nile in and of themselves are not a threat um, as much as the, you know, what they can unleash with the leveler is, uh, particularly in phase one. And I'm sure we're going to get more of that in phase two. It, to me though, it's like the least interesting thing. Like I really don't care about it as that much other than, uh, you know, it's story points. So I like that they set it up early in, in the phase two so that hopefully we do get more exploration of it. Because I want to go back and read phase one and be a little more invested in the leveler and, uh, you know, what it does and what it can do. And and maybe we haven't even seen the full breadth of what it's done. The thing I'm most concerned about with that regard, though, is like, how do you tell a story where you have this huge threat that can kill Jedi so easily and then you just forget about it a hundred years later. Like that would be like us forgetting that atomic bombs exist, you know, by the time we hit a hundred years after, uh, you know, the nuclear bomb was dropped. Like that's ridiculous to say that that's something that could happen. We're going to be continuing to talk about this and the threat of it for years. So I'm more intrigued, not in, in the leveler itself, but in, okay, how does this, all fit together into the story. So how are they going to tie this all together to make it make sense of why they're having it be the threat in phase two also, which I think makes sense. You know, if you look at star Wars, you, you set up the Sith, you don't go into great detail in them in the original trilogy. You delve into them a lot more in the prequels. Like it's, they're doing standard star Wars formatting stuff here where you go backwards and you get more information about things. Um, 
but it's one of those things where I'm like, hmm, this isn't something I was really invested in before, but the way that you set it up in here gives me either I'm going to be fully invested and it's going to revolutionize how I feel about phase one by the end of this, or I'm just still going to be in the exact same spot. And I don't think there's an in-between that's going to happen there. Well, this might be a silly question, but I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think they really like announced when phase three is going to take place yet, have they? They haven't. Uh, the The general consensus, just because of how they left off the end of phase one, is that they're going to go back there. Maybe in an interview or something they mentioned, you know, we're going back in time before we go forward. I think they have. I feel, I I feel like so between either. you and I, one of us would would jump on that. Um, and know off the top of our head, and, and hopefully one of our listeners would be happy to uh, politely correct us if, if we're wrong, keeping in mind that right now it's end of December 2023. Um, so if you're listening to this two months later <laughs> and they've announced it, please keep that in mind. Um, but the reason I ask is I'd be so interested to see if it is the fact that it this big threat, was it forgotten about or was it intentionally hidden and i think that's why what i'm really curious and really interested to see uh and i keep going to say season three but in phase three yeah i mean there's there's possibilities in every direction because we've seen you know the empire snuff out any talk of the jedi where it's like 30 40 years later the jedi are are complete myth but it's not like the jedi were forgotten it's just nobody really knows you know about them and it's kind of, you know, it's a weird balance because this is all happening before the prequels. So you, as a, an, an in-depth Star Wars fan, you kind of go, okay, how does this set up what happens in the prequels? Because that's how our Star Wars brain is trained when we get this pre- mm. these prequels. How, do we, how does this set up what we have? But it's also yeah. so far before but anything that we have that it's like it's so- not about that. So here's the part of the reason though why I'm so curious is I'm so sorry, Scrappy keeps uh chiming in his thoughts in the background if you hear that. Um but part of the reason why I'm so curious about this is I think it would say a lot about the Jedi if they intentionally hid from not only the, the galaxy as a whole, but even if they hid from, you know, Padawans and, and other Jedi masters. The fact that there's something out there that can defeat them and can annihilate them. And I think that's where we would start to see this slip into structure and control and omitted details. Um, Because it's one thing to say, like, hey, um, this is a a comparison I don't make lightly at all. um, But I just can't think of something else to compare this to. Um, but it's it's something where you hear all the time about these unsolved crimes now that happened early September 2001, where something bigger happened and this was forgotten about. So is the leveler forgotten about because something bigger is going to happen in phase three to make this less important? Or is this intentionally hidden because the Jedi are starting to fear the loss of control and the loss of the illusion of power if that makes sense no that makes total sense because i think that is something that is brought up in the book um you know kev he's i I don't remember exactly what the context that gets him started in thinking this is um but it's on page 52 in the in the paper copy uh it's talking about you know the opinions of the jedi and how they the more opinions the closer, you, the nearer one got to Coruscant, the more opinions everybody had about the Jedi, and those opinions, whether good or bad, got in the way of their work, right? So, if you are thinking about this leveler and you want to maintain this position of power, okay, we'll keep news of that from getting to the center of the galaxy, because if we stop the news from getting it to the center of the galaxy, it's just these for lack of a better term, hillbillies out in the outer rim that, you know, nobody's really going to believe what they have to say anyways, because what do they know? They're not part of the core systems. And it's cool to see that that perception of the Jedi evolving and how yeah. they possibly could use that to, uh, you know, kind of get 
feelings about them to go one way or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's I think what I'm hoping we see a little bit more of that maybe for me was lost in phase one. Um, and it's I, I know better than to hope or than to try and predict what's going to happen in any kind of Star Wars story. Um, and this is a great example of this. You know, I think I think Path of Deceit is in, I don't even want to say an ending. It's a middle and an end that no one can really predict. Um, but I think one thing I, I would personally love to see and explore more is exactly that, is the Jedi trying to, through their own fear, start to control more internally to have the illusion of external power. Uh, that's that's something I'm really, really hoping that we get more into in this phase in phase three. And I think honestly it would it would amp me up a little bit more for High Republic. Well, I think there's two points in the story that kind of point to that being a possibility. Um, there's one point where uh, Kev and Marta are talking about, you know, Jedi and their emotions. And he says, by understanding our strongest emotions and the way they drive us forward, we can analyze our moves and discover the best course of action rather than behaving impulsively. So it's not about skewing emotions, but about understanding where they come from and addressing the underlying issue before acting. A very healthy, thoughtful approach that is then ignored uh, or altered, however you want to phrase it, later on to be you know, don't let your emotions control you with no real thought of, well, emotions are natural and you can't avoid them. Like emotions, I always say emotions are neutral. They're just a feedback system telling you something that's going on. Your actions decide that. But then there's also one other quote at the end where um, Marta and Kev are about to kiss and she says, uh, Jedi don't kiss. It sounded stupid when she put it that way. He let go of her, grasping at the air as he tried to explain. Relationships like that or any, really, they're distractions. We don't uh, want to be bound to anything but the Force and the Temple, Marta hummed thoughtfully. That's so sad, she murmured. Sad? The Force is life, and life is all about relationships and creation. Don't you have a family or a home? But if we attach ourselves to one thing over others, that doesn't leave us room for focusing on justice and light or to devote ourselves to the force entirely. We do not. We do have relationships. They just must be. Kevmo struggled to remember anything directly. A lesson he could tell her, uh, directly from a, me- a lesson he could tell her. Secondary, and and secondary is there with a question mark. So you see what the Jedi are going to become in those two quotes. You yeah. see the controlling of emotion and the cordoning off of relationships. And this Padawan, it, this is his understanding of the Jedi's relationship to the Force and the the Order itself. And those are two things that are specifically pointed out in the text. Like, this is not, yeah. oh man, like he... He has feelings for Marta and he doesn't do anything about them because, you know, we can fill in the blanks that Jedi don't have relationships. No, he says Jedi don't have relationships. You see the direction that the order is going. The seeds are already being planted. And in the prequels, we saw that when things get hard for the Jedi, when they're, as you you called it earlier, their illusion of power starts to to fade away what does yoda do he says no don't tell the senate only our enemies know this they're the only ones that can do anything about it uh and in in that case that they're able to do something about it because the jedi don't say anything to anybody because they cordon themselves off and we kind of see that all getting set up here yeah you know i i love the excerpt that you picked too for oddly enough uh a totally different reason in addition to, to the reason that you picked it um, because yes, it does demonstrate all of this beautifully and organically. Uh, the other reason I love it though, is I think it really shows a big strength of this book and it is the relationship between these two, not even for like a, you know, like a romantic I ship it kind of way, but I really like this and it shows to me why this had to be a YA novel to kick things off. I think that decision confused a lot of people, myself included, going into it. But the reason why it had to be a YA novel and why this 
excerpt is as good as it is, is because this age group gives the genuine naivety and curiosity that is needed to get these points across, right? If you had, I think, two matured adults and a Jedi master and, and, you know, someone equally their age and their experience coming together, I think it would have been much more combative, but because it's YA and these opinions and these ideals are still being formed, that's why this relationship and, and essentially this book really worked for me in a way that it would not have had it been a quote unquote adult novel. Yeah. I think if it was an adult novel, you kind of eye roll. If you have this kind of back and forth, will they, won't they between Kevmo and Marta, but, and especially the situation that they're put in where they have these two diametrically opposed views on the same thing, but they're not so, hardened by the world and by experiences that they don't want to listen to one another you know they they want yeah that's to hear a, it's, each other it's out. a genuine curiosity and an openness and willing to learn that really work well with this age group right exactly and to me the most interesting thing was using a cult in a ya novel <laughs> to then expand on some very important ideas because yeah like, here's the thing about cults, and this, just, just say it out loud, just sounds crazy. But the things that makes cults compelling is when they're right. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's like, okay, I always go to Thanos, because that's just a, the easiest pop culture example to, yeah. to go to. Thanos was right that too many resources were being used and the populations were outgrowing the ability to sustain resources. He was 100% right about that. 150% wrong about uh, how to mm-hmm. go about solving said issue. And it's mm-hmm. like, hmm, I never thought about what the path presents here before of maybe using the force is actually taxing to the force and maybe you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, you know? Yeah. And that's a really interesting way to approach it and and think about it. And it's almost like, do you you kind of agree with Path of the Open Hand to some extent. Um, yeah, I was, I was curious to, you know, I was going to just outright ask you if you agreed with them or disagreed if we didn't get to it. But yeah, there's there's always times where it's so interesting and so compelling to me um, when, when you find yourself agreeing with things. And it's funny because I, I had mentioned that TikTok video that my friend sent me a few hours before, before this. Um, but actually a few weeks ago, um, on HBO, there's a docuseries where, you know what, all Star Wars fans might be a little bit interested because it is Amperu. Um, but there is a docuseries, two seasons now on HBO Max called The Vow. And it goes through the first season are the people who escaped this cult, one of them being the actress who plays Amperu. Second season my friends and I found very interesting because it follows more of the court case of one of the quote unquote leaders. And it becomes very, very genuine and clear throughout this, that she did not realize the harm she was committing. And she did not realize what the members of this cult were doing without her knowing. Um, So it got us talking about, you know, like what kind of cult would you join? And it was half joking. And then a few weeks later, I was watching a different documentary on on Netflix. And the way that they explain what, of course, turned out to be this god-awful cult really did truly terrible things to so many people, including and especially their own members. The way they first explain it, I sat there terrified because I was like, I would join this cult. It started as just people wanting to connect with each other and people wanting to be more open and more vulnerable. And it was one of those things where I'm like, man, I could see how people get swept up in this. And I could see the appeal to this. And this cult was one of the things where I sat there kind of giggling to myself and I'd be like, I joined this. And I think in, in my heart, if this were really to happen to me, if I were in this universe, I would still probably know it was a cult and I would still join. Uh, so so it was just interesting to me when, when you sit there and you're like, man, I know I shouldn't think you're right, but I do because what you're saying makes sense. 
Right. And, you know, keep in mind the the majority of the path of the open hand don't know what the children are doing. They don't know about... They, they see that they're liberating artifacts. You know, they don't realize that they are stealing, that they are killing, that they are hurting. You know, they don't understand all of that stuff. And it's the extremists who are doing that, right? And the extremists is, is kind of an interesting thing to consider when you're talking about cults because that kind of begs the question of where's the line between cult and religion, right? Um, is it them being right? Is that what makes the distinction? Is it the extremism? Because if you look at like our, our real world examples, uh, you know, something like Scientology, it's easy to identify as a cult because it's like, mm, this guy just made this up out of some science fiction books, like easily a cult, right? Um, and, and I'm using this as an, a, an example, and I don't mean to offend anybody in any way. It's just a thought experiment. But what makes that different from the far, far, far right extremist evangelical Christian groups, right? Like, how are are they not a cult because they fall under the Christian banner and we've accepted Christian as a religion? Or because they exist, does it make all Christians uh, a cult, right? And there's no easy answer to that. And, and my opinion of that, the answer to that question is completely irrelevant to the point of, that's what we're Do you seeing want to know here. the academic answer? Because I actually took a cult, a cult. I took a class on cults in college. Well, so I, I, really I do, understand. I do. But before, because I, I want to be able to set this uh-huh. up so we can discuss the distinction. I think here they're asking us the same question. The path of the open hand, depending on who you ask, is a religion or a cult. The same can be said for the Jedi Order. So go ahead and give your definition mm. and, and we'll see how we can sparse that out. So this is so odd um, because I think we've really lost sight of this, but a cult is essentially a group of organized people living under the same ideology with a very charismatic leader. It becomes a religion when that leader dies and it is able to be passed on and continues So, for example, Jonestown never had a leader other than Jim Jones. Interesting. Uh, The family never had a leader other than Charles Manson, which is why they're cults. Had Christianity stopped when Jesus was crucified, it would have been considered a cult. But because something like Scientology is able to survive even after Ron L. Hubbard or L. Ron Hubbard died, it is technically a religion. See, and that's just wild because in this book, like one, I think our our cultural definitions of those are shifting, right? As yeah. as we're going through this very tumultuous time. And again, I'm not attacking anybody here. I I've, I've spent a lot of my life studying different religions um, and stuff. I, I'm completely fascinated by it and have nothing but the utmost respect for everybody being able to believe whatever they they want to believe as long as they are not harming others that's not the point of 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 the point we're making here but it's like okay where because we know the path of the open hand is eventually going to lead into the nile right but how does that go go in that direction and maybe it is when the mother dies you know the mother has taken over as this this figurehead but then again if we look at what they give us about the path of the open hand based on your definition, it is a religion and not a cult because we have a passage from, from page 94 where it talks about the origins of the, the, the night or uh, the path of the open hand and introduces this character of Sakar rolled, who was the original person to start the path of the open hand. And then the mother comes and, um, and takes over, right? So there's actually, I'm sorry, not page 94, page 93. uh, It says, Marta closed her eyes and listened to the lyrics describing the arrival of Sakar Rold on uh, Dalna, where he founded the path of the open hand on a planet untouched by war or pain, led away from the former priesthood by a vision of vivid blue light. It was a soothing story to Marta because she knew two things about her people, the ever, ever any. They were reviled throughout the galaxy for unknown reasons, and they were no longer had a home of their own. 
Sakar Rold came from the order known as the Guardians of the Wills, but left them when his belief conflicted with their ways. He was an outcast from the Sots from them and sought sanctuary with the force. Those things led him to Dalna where Marta and her cousins had also ended up. So by your definition, the path of the open hand is not a cult. It's a religion because they had, yeah, but I think it's, again, it's one of those things where I think if you add, if you go by the, the denotation versus the connotation, the denotation being the dictionary definition, they're a religion, but if you go by what we see of actual like cult and cult leaders of the it's more about are you you're you're living this life you say you're living but are you doing it insular, insularly to benefit just your group or are you doing it externally to benefit others to me that's where i kind of draw more of a distinction between a cult and a religion cults like scientology right um which is a cult they they go and they do things to help themselves their whole religion is about bettering themselves and they bring people in to try and validate their own opinions whereas you look at the best of we'll take christians or judaism or any islam like any of the major religions that we have if you look at the best version of those they are out serving the poor and helping the needy and all of those things that we want to see out of things. And that to me is more of where I think the distinction is between the Jedi and the path where the path is, is it's only benefiting itself. It likes to think it's benefiting other things by benefiting the force. And, and it puts up these facades that are way too hard to disprove for any, you know, single person you can't prove that the force is being hurt or not hurt by it being used. You couldn't even, you, how do you measure if the force is free? Like, how do I know it's not free right now? And how am I going to know that it's free later? There's no definition to that. Right. So it's all about them bringing people in to, to validate their own understandings. Whereas the Jedi at this point in particular in the story are about going out and helping others and expanding and I think that's something that Marta sees that in, in Kevmo that she likes, but she doesn't know how to reconcile it with the way she's been raised within this insular program, if you will, programming really of, you know, the littles and the children and moving up in these ranks and stuff. It's all about the path, whereas the Jedi are supposed to be all about everything else. I think uh, another point you bring up that's really interesting to me in this book too, though, is that indoctrination. You know, it's something that's kind of explored a little bit more in the uh, sequel trilogy uh, with the the stormtroopers. But overall, that I think is something that's always kind of danced around and and sort of brought up, but never really put into the spotlight. Whereas one of the reasons I like Path of Deceit as much as I do is I think that they don't really shy away from that. And again, it goes back to why this really works as a YA novel, uh, because that's something where that indoctrination I don't think would really come through had it been, you know, here are these mature, consenting, well-informed adults. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. And and even the... I guess adult that we do see, even though she's, you know, kind of still a teen of Yanaro trying to get out. She can't get out, but she's been in it so long. Like she doesn't have the tools to be able to figure out how to do it. She has been trained and, and programmed, if you will, to believe that whatever the mother says is true. And even though she is starting to see through that facade, she still doesn't know what to do when what the mother said doesn't happen. The mother said she could leave until it's time to leave. And then she says, you can't leave. And she has no foundational elements in how to respond and react to that problem. You know, she has no problem solving skills. <laughs> it's so interesting. Like, I, I really do. The more we talk about it, I think like this book actually more and more. Because this is another thing I, I would love to pick your brain on. Um, there are truly a lot of well thought out characters 
with some really interesting, I don't want to say characteristics, um, but like some interesting issues that we don't typically see. And one thing I think we have to address with this is the fact that there are two authors. And do you think that having two authors for this book helped it or was it detriment? Because the more we talk about these characters and these ideas, I kind of understand having two authors a little bit more because I don't think that one person could sit down and justify the two sides of the story so well. Mm. I disagree with the last part. I think you could have somebody who can justify both sides. Um, and, And I think we've seen that with authors like you know, Claudia Gray and Kevin Scott and, and people who are involved with this this uh, initiative being able to write s- such diverse characters at different times in their life. I think that takes an ability to step back and look objectively at, at a problem and a situation and how a character would respond instead of how you would want them to respond. The having of two authors allows for more of a conversation to be happening throughout the creative process which I think allows for more of these questions to be raised. I think that's the distinction. Not so much that somebody couldn't see both sides, but I don't know if a single person could ask all the questions that need to be asked. Yeah, yeah. And like, I I didn't ever feel like throughout the story, you know, oh, this feels clunky because there's two authors. It's something I think, you know, if you don't read the front, and you clearly see there are two authors. I don't think it ever really comes across, which, I mean, good on them. I can't imagine that. But did you ever feel like it was clunky or or find yourself knowing who wrote what part based on their styles? I have no evidence to prove that I'm right on this, but there were certain points where I feel like, okay, because my, my idea of how this happened, and again, I have no facts on this, it just makes the most sense to me, is one person wrote one chapter or one person wrote another chapter. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there are certain points, depending on the content that's that's existing in each chapter, where you can tell there's more of Justina Ireland's flowery language that I like about her as a writer, whereas Tessa Groton is much more of a, I guess just cut and dry, that's not, necessarily a bad thing um just it, it's different styles and so there were certain points where i think i could tell but it was more in the writing style and less in the execution of the story so i don't think it's a detriment and i think you would have to really be looking for it like i was to see if you could find it yeah and like you said too you know you are a justina ireland fan not to say that i'm not but i think you favor her more whereas i'm take or leave um but maybe because of that you're able to identify her styles like you said more of her flowery language and and whatnot right yeah i mean i haven't heard anybody complaining about you know the the book not working because you had like nobody even brings up that there were two authors so i think for most people like you're saying you couldn't really notice it and i am Uh, I am the exception that proves the rule more than anything else. But I do want to ask you about about the mother, because she is obviously the, you know, the character that kind of proves to us that the path of the open hand is a cult, despite all of our our other, uh, you know, debates about the, the meaning of it and who falls in what definition. But I found myself questioning throughout this whole book. And I want your opinion on this. Does the mother even have the force? I at no point felt as though she did. And again, like like you had said, you don't have evidence showing or, or disproving anything. But I almost think that was kind of the point of the whole don't manipulate it, is that you can coexist with it without manipulating it. I don't think she necessarily had use of the force the way that you're, you're intending the question today. Yeah. Cause it's, it's kind of like, it's almost like she is a, a dark inverse of, uh, Chirrut Imwe because Chirrut doesn't have the force in, in the way that we would 
define it based on Star Wars. You know, he's not a he's not to the level that he would have ended up at the Jedi Temple, but he has a relationship with it, and part of that relationship, uh, the the foundation of that relationship is respecting its will and trusting in it implicitly, and and all of those things that the best of the Jedi should do. And on the flip side, you have the mother who is using that same kind of idea, but as a mask to to hide behind so that nobody can see what she's really trying to do. Yeah, yeah, but like that's that's the thing. I feel like in order to say someone has use of the force, you really need multiple concrete examples to to show it. And we just don't. Right, but the way she talks about the Force, though, makes me question that. Because they're, at the beginning of the book, when they're kind of still introducing the ideas, she talks about the Force and, and says it's life itself and, and being around it too much can be draining. It's like a crowded room. It's noisy, chaotic, and not pleasant at all. Um, if there's a lot of people around and too much Force energy going on, all these things that we've seen be true. You know, um, if you look, for example, at Emery in uh, in phase one, being in too much of a crowded emotional room is overstimulating for him because of his empathic abilities. Mm. So that tracks. So my question is, if we go off of she doesn't have the force, how does she know and how is she able to talk about the force in such a believable and and us as outside observers true perspective at least in some way shape or form like that's something i'm like mm, what happened i want the prequel to 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 the prequel yeah. of like how yeah, did she no, learn all these that's things? fair and i guess though back to the point of kind of you know that that doctrination and a little bit of bias on our end is how do we necessarily know she's speaking of it in such a true way Right. Like how how do you know it's almost like like a teacher, right? Mm-hmm. You automatically know that you're supposed to respect a teacher and give them the benefit of the doubt. But I hate when teachers are like, Well, I'm the teacher, so I'm right. It's like, no, you're not. Yeah. Having the title yeah, doesn't make you that's the end all. Great analogy, yeah. Right? Like if you put that facade up there, then you're you're discrediting any ability for your organization to grow like the best leaders don't do that and so i think i think the the if i was creating the story i wouldn't have her have the force i think this book leaves it up to question i don't think it'll be up for question by the time we get to the end of this phase um my theory is that marta is going to see through the mother at some point and eventually kill her um and that's what's going to lead to the the beginning Rogue of dynasty. the Nile. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, you see, you see a lot of the connections here of things that will become traits of the Nile. You know, you have um, the stealing of the Force artifacts goes with their, their looting, having a, a cultish-like leader, as you do with the Rose, um, having these secrets about how things actually work, like um, having, what, what's the Santeca, the old Santeca lady who is actually giving oh, them the yep. routes. Oh, yep, 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 Like yep. you have all of these things. And you even, even the organization of the path, this is one thing I loved, and I can't believe we're almost an hour into this conversation. We haven't gotten to this. The way that the path is set up is a reflection of the way the Nile is set up. Mm-hmm. Like, you have these steps that you go through. You have a it's, hierarchy. Yeah. It's the same kind of language. It's a very clear evolution. Yes. And, oh, my God. Like, how cool is that? Like, honestly, even going prequels to original trilogy with regards to the Jedi, I don't think you have that kind of synergy and the definition of what a Jedi is as you do, as we're clearly going to be able to see how this path of the open hand, that for all intents and purposes, sounds like it was started as an organization for good. Like, when we think about the canon that we have, the Guardians of the Wills, I think we're we're supposed to accept as a, a group that is at least attempting to do good. 
right? Bays mm-hmm. and Chirrut show us that. You know, we have uh, Cassie and Snide comments about them, but you know, Guardians of the Wills, the Wills all comes from George Lucas. Like we're supposed to think, okay, that is a, a good group. And to me, knowing Sakar rolled left the the Guardians of the Wills because of a difference of opinions doesn't necessarily mean to me that he was a bad guy starting this other, you know, this off religion that was going to become an extremist group. Just kind of how, you know, you have different Christian denominations. They split because of a a different interpretation of the same text kind of idea. And so the way that I read it, the Path of the Open Hand was started as a good, righteous organization that was then denigrated and manipulated by the mother. So to get this idea of this group that started for good, that was intended to do things to help the galaxy that will eventually become the biggest threat to the galaxy is a journey I am fascinated to follow. Yeah, no, I'm the more we talk, the more excited I get for it to come. So, I mean, we could go go really in depth in this book because like every page is just it, it's so much between what it talks about with the Jedi, what it talks about with the Force, what it talks about with the Path of the Open Hand. But I have one question, and we kind of touched on it a little bit, but I want your opinion on this because this is one of those things where there isn't a right answer. But it's one of those questions that we get in Star Wars where you go, how was I not asking this question the entire time? Do you think using the Force in point A takes away from the Force being able to act at point B? You know, I... I kept asking myself this over and over and there's oddly enough been, been other times where I've got this too in legends books, um, primarily the, oddly enough, the old Republic. Um, I guess not all that odd, but I've, I've thought about this and I don't think so. I really don't, only because I understand the concept of it is this finite thing and there's there's limited enough to go around. But I think that Qui-Gon Jinn here would be the one to agree with me that the more you use it and the more you tap into it and reflect it, it's all about connections, right? So in theory, it really should create stronger connections from point a to point b and that's why i'm not i'm not totally convinced that it is this finite thing that can only be used you know x amount at any given point yeah i'm i lean that direction too and i think that you could argue the argument could be made you know when we look at characters like uh, Grogu or people who use the Force. And, and even Kefmo talks about needing to separate from the Force a little bit because it, it is so overwhelming for him. Emery, the same way. We've seen the Force drain people, but to me, I, I interpret that as... There, there was an idea a pastor presented one time that I, I really liked, and he said, you know, the the word God is so grand and so huge that even the words that we have for him are not enough to explain what he is, but that actually understanding what it is is so far beyond our human capabilities because that's how big he is, right? And... I think about the force the same way. The force is so big that even the things we say about the force don't fully explain the force. And so it would make sense to me that the force is such a big grand thing that using it drains the finite energy within the person, but not the energy within the force. So when we see characters like Grogu falling asleep after using the force, or we see Luke dying after using the force to such a great extent, to me, that is not a reflection on the force. It's a reflection on the person's inability to fully encompass the force within oneself. Because as great as Luke Skywalker is, he is not the force. As great as 
Ahsoka is or Grogu is or Qui-Gon is. They are not the Force. They are a conduit of the Force, right? And just the mm -hmm. same way a wire could not contain all of electricity. You, mm. you would not have all electricity in one wire. You have mm -hmm. the electricity needed to achieve the, the method. And yes, that is, you know, that's moving electricity along a line, but it's not trapped there. And you're not trying to stuff all of it into this one wire. And I think that's, to me, that's where the path of the open hand goes wrong is in thinking the force is a formula. That's kind of the the idea I got for them is the force is a formula. And if we put together these right parts in these right places at these right times, we're going to get the correct answer and the force is going to be free. Yeah. I, I, it's something that I don't think we're ever fully going to know the right or wrong answer by design. I think it's something that's meant to be thought of very seriously and really meant to be debated. Yeah. And I, I, that's part of the fun of Star Wars, you know, it is, that's, it is. it's, but there's, that's why I like books like this, that give us that opportunity to do just that. Right. And, and this novel, like I said, at the beginning, it, it feels like a setup novel. Um, just like light of the Jedi was a setup novel for phase one. Um, that's not necessarily a bad thing because I think what it sets up are some really interesting ideas and opportunities for storytelling. So yeah, I personally am more invested in what this is going to set up than any other. Well, I gave my idea of, I think Marta is going to kill the mother and start the Nile proper. Yeah. If you have like one theory moving forward that you think is going to happen and, and kind of a, a, big theory about what phase two is going to be focused on telling us based off of this book that we've read, what would you say it would be? Oh man. I don't know. Only because I probably would have picked the same thing, but now it just sounds like a cop out. But see, I think it's the most obvious answer at the same Exa time. Exactly. That's what right? like, like, I don't, I don't necessarily have any big grand, you know, other, other thoughts or anything. Um, I don't know. As as we talk, I think I'm more interested in what phase three is going to bring than phase two now, only because I do think there's a bit of predictability that goes along with it. Mm, that's understandable. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like people talking about the prequels. It's like, why did we have episode one and two when episode three is what we really wanted to see? But I think like the prequels have aged, you know, and, and we've had more of an appreciation for them. I mean, you and I had appreciation for them from the start because we were just, yep. you know, we're naturally we right about these yeah. things. Um, <laughs> all right, that's fair. I'll go with yours. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think once we have the entirety of the High Republic, we're going to look back on these stories, and I think this one in particular, and be like, wow, they had it all in that book. It was all right there. Um, and, and I think mm. that... You know, they had to be very intentional about picking two authors to write this book and picking the two authors that they did, like one who has been in the High Republic before and one who is making her debut in the High Republic. I think all of it was to service asking new questions and answering old ones while also building the entirety of the High Republic because you've got... Justina Ireland bringing this point of view of, okay, what did we have before that we need to lead into? And Tessa Groton being able to ask, okay, but what are we creating? Mm -hmm. And again, this is just a theory that I have, but but there's a reason why none of the other books that we've had so far have two authors and this one does. And, I, and yeah. I'm excited to see these questions that they brought up, what they're going to to present to us moving forward. So yeah. I'm going to go ahead and be honest. I'm I'm raising my score. It's a solid four. It's a four out of five. All right, I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep mine at a, a four, uh, four as well. Okay, I think if you're not an in-depth Star Wars fan, as I like to call like people like you and you and I who are in reading every book and everything, if you were to just pick this book up to casually read Star Wars, I think it might end up being a book that's like a two, just because there's so yeah. many questions you don't know to ask. But I appreciate being able to have a book like let's say a, a uh, Light of the Jedi or um, even, you know, 
some of the YA novels in phase one where you could just pick it up and read it as a raucous Star Wars adventure and move on with your life. Um, and be also being able to have these books where it's like, you're only going to get this if you're a real deep Star Wars fan. I think there's yeah. space for, for both stories in Star Wars. So we will be uh, continuing on our adventure in the High Republic when we come together for our next episode of Convergence. I'm currently reading that right now uh, by by Zoraida Cordova, who is amazing. So stay tuned and subscribe to the channel for that. And uh, make sure you are on all of our socials, at Clashing Sabers on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, where we would announce where uh, when new episodes are coming. Uh, we have more shows than ever coming out on the network. We are pumping out content like crazy, uh, just trying to keep up with everything that Star Wars has coming out. So if you're looking for diverse perspectives on Star Wars and debate and conversation from many, many different angles. Uh, you can find that all here on the Clashing Sabers Network. And Lindsay, if they want to particularly see what you have going on or talk to you about this book or other things, where can they do that? Yeah, the best place really is to do that in our Facebook group. Uh, just make sure you tag me, Lindsay Gadotti. Uh Would love to find out if, you know, maybe we are wrong and they did announce when phase three was going to take place or just anything that you wanted to add or, or discuss or argue with uh, on either this episode or on my other show here on the Clashing Sabers Network, Sith Talk. And again, you can get all of those by just subscribing to the network. And just on a final note, before we close out, uh, we are doing our fundraiser at the beginning of next year to put more books into uh, Star Wars books into classrooms across the country. So if you know a teacher, uh, please go over and nominate a teacher because I've got lots of books that would be great to send out during this holiday season. And uh, if you want to participate in that, just make sure you stay tuned. We will have plenty more information on that and updates to our Patreon that supports that mission and more. So just stay tuned here um, and we will have all of that for you. But until then, keep reading, keep writing, but whatever you do, don't burn the sacred text. All Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of the Clashing Sabers Network and ClashingSabers.net. All licensed sounds and images are the property of their respective copyright holders and are used for informational and educational purposes only. For more information on our nonprofit or to nominate a teacher, go to ClashingSabers.net. For questions or inquiries, please email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. You're just going to walk away?